Hello and welcome to Crowdfunding Champions, where we learn from some of the most successful campaigns. I'm Rob Wilson, and my guest today is Will Brakey, the co-founder of Dr. Wills, the all-natural condiments brand who raised over £1.1 million on Cedars. Will, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's my pleasure. It's nice to be here. For those who don't know, Will, you do also have another job outside of being the co-founder of Dr. Wills. Yep. Yeah, I'm a trainee plastic surgeon. NHS, so plastic surgery, not quite what lots of people think it is. Um, within the NHS and with your training, it's all sort of reconstructive work post either injury or burns or cancer and sort of cleft lip and palate and things thrown in as well. So it's not the, the, the boobs and the bums, but it's all the other bits and pieces. So I do that. I do that full time. Then also... Um, obviously heavily involved in, in Dr. Wills and, and have been since the start of that. So a bit of a juggle, but it's, it's going all right. <laughs> and for those that haven't seen Dr. Wills in the shops or seen your crowdfunding campaign, would you be able to just give us an overview of the business? Yeah, so Dr. Wills was an idea that my friend uh, Josh Rose, who's the co-founder, one of our three co-founders and I had back in 2016, um, essentially to replace sugar-laden condiments uh, primarily ketchup with something that was made with all natural ingredients without any refined sugar. So first product was tomato ketchup, and that's been our sort of hero product from the off. And the sales have grown our range as well, and we now offer a range of mayonnaises, salad dressings, sort of everyday dipping sauces alongside the ketchup. And they are all made with natural ingredients that you could find in your own store cupboard and never contain any refined sugar. How has the business been funded to date? So... Always until most recently, until the crowdfunding campaign, through private um, fundraising rounds, friends and family, and sort of a close acquaintances of friends and family, essentially. Um, started with a kind of the classic just SEIS round and then moved on to EIS and then more recently the crowdfunding. What made you decide to launch a crowdfunding campaign? It wasn't our first choice. Uh, we had a funding round fall through, and I think. Probably many, lots of other founders have probably been in the same situation, but it comes as some of the darkest days of your, your business because you think you've got everything set up and then all of a sudden you don't and your whole kind of plan for the next 18 months gets pulled out from underneath your feet. And we then decided that crowdfunding would be the best thing. I think we've probably always had crowdfunding in the back of our mind, but we were a bit nervous about it because it does really put you in the public eye and we were a bit scared of sort of failing dramatically publicly but actually in hindsight it's been you know fantastic and probably one of the best things we've done for the business in a long time um i've digressed from the question i think but yeah we weren't going to do it initially but then we decided that it would be a great way to build our community as but at the same time as bringing in funds and you mentioned there that you had an investment round you know, lined up and that fell through. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about you know, the sort of context behind that? Yeah. So looking back at it now, it kind of it looks almost obvious that it was never going to happen. But essentially, we were being advised by a guy in London and he said, look, I've got this contact um, in the Far East who's looking to put lots of money into different UK businesses. And within a number of weeks, after some really intense due diligence from their part, we had a signed term sheet for basically the same as our crowdfunding was. And then every couple of weeks, that signed term sheet 
just got pushed back and it was money was meant to come in in November and then it was mid-December then it was end of December then it was January then it was mid-January and uh, there was a definite date of February and then it just never arrived and I said eventually the chap just stopped answering any emails stopped answering phone calls and the whole thing just disappeared from underneath our feet and um, I tell people that we had this you know this big billionaire guy from the Middle East of Far East even investing and they were like ah sounds a bit dodgy (laughs) and anyway it turned out that they were right and um, I think it just was probably too good to be true but it was also it had been a relatively simple process so we jumped on it and we thought that that was not the you know that was going to be our whole round done without too much effort and that was it but um, yeah that uh, it was completely unsuccessful but a very good lesson to learn that until the money's in the bank, your investment round is not done at all. Yeah, 100%. So at that point in time, how much were you looking to raise? So we had always had around a million in our sites, but we had to then sort of recalculate what we were going to do based on what we thought we could get from crowdfunding and also redo our budgets in terms of what we really needed and what we would have liked, etc. So the signed term sheet was for one and a quarter million, um, but obviously that signed term sheet was worth nothing. <laughs> yeah, and then we had a look at everything and decided on our crowdfunding target of 400,000 to start with. And so setting the target at 400K, did you have a, a lead investor? Yeah, we did. Um, we had an angel investor from the Northeast um, who had previously had a successful exit from another food company who I got put in touch with through a friend of a friend. And she brought in one of her friends and they were the kind of the lead investors on that. And alongside them, we probably had about, say, six or seven people making up our kind of the first chunk of that 400,000, um, which was there when sort of pre-committed when we launched. So you always had the intention of getting to that million pound mark but you, I guess, strategically set your target at 400K with the idea that you would, you would overfund. Yeah, I think we'd actually, we'd probably knocked our expectations down to more like six to 750 um, because we really weren't sure how sort of successful the crowdfund was going to be. So we set it low because we knew we'd, we definitely needed that much money, the 400. And we were confident that we would close that based on what we had pre-committed. And then... Once we got sort of up to five and six, we were we were very pleased with the, the progress and how it had gone. And then it seemed to snowball from there on. And we just thought we might, whilst the money's on the table, we should take it. And and we had been previously prepared to take that much money on this the round that fell through. So so that that's why we kept why well, we allowed it to overfund to the extent that we did. And I imagine that you didn't go into this blind. I, I seem to remember you having a, a pre-registration page that you put out to your community and perhaps sort of the Cedars investors before launching as well. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that and the, and the process of getting that live? Yeah, absolutely. So I think step one for us was like nailing our marketing assets. So using everything that we had to hand. So I don't know if you saw our video, but it was me with my kids and the kind of real kind of family thing. So we used some punchy sugar stats, which we always use, and we've got some quite nice branding anyway. So we got all of that stuff done before we started. Granted, it was on quite short notice, but the chap, the guy that came to do the filming was great and we just did it at my house. And then I think the pre-reg part is really important. And I probably hadn't realized how important that was before we kicked off. 
but we went as far and wide as we possibly could with that pre-registration list. So we sweated LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, everyone who was involved in the company in any way, we asked them to do the same thing and kind of did that sort of seven degrees of separation type of thing. And you know, I was texting every WhatsApp group I was in, was sending messages, you know, spamming old university emailing lists and what have you to try and build it up. And it's interesting when you have your pre-reg list um, seeders will tell you people put what they're they put sort of an estimate of what they might be investing in and um, there's a lot of jokers on there who put sort of £50,000 and you go oh brilliant this looks so and so wants about £50,000 and then you get in touch with them and they're not interested at all they're just doing it for I don't know why they did it it's really irritating so Was that one of your university friends? Or? No it wasn't it was um, <laughs> it was a total random and we said oh look you, you said you're interested in £50,000 he said oh no I just wanted to see your debt and we go well you could have put a hundred, and then we would have got excited so, but Cedars will give you a kind of running total of what they think you might end up on, but it's a huge range. It's sort of, we got to the end of the pre-registration and Cedars said, oh, you might get anywhere between 180,000 to 1.8 million out of this pre-reg thing. So it's quite exciting to see that, but at the same time, I think it's important to kind of keep your feet on the ground. And just to interrupt there, did Cedars give you a suggested conversion rate from what is pre-registered yeah. so registered to so that, so that i think they said about 10 percent normally converts and so that's why they give you that really broad range of where they think you're going to end up at mm. but the great thing about the pre-registration list is that you get everyone's email address so then you can go we literally went through every single person that pre-registered looked if they'd invested and if they had said thanks and if they hadn't you know we said is there anything that you need you know can we do a phone call voice note or what have you so you do get access to everyone's information through that. And so can you remember what the expected amount was from that pre-registration list or perhaps the, the number or the rough number of subscribers that you had? Yeah, so I think we had about 400 people on there. And yeah, the amount that they thought we might get from it was up to about 600,000, which when we put that against what we had pre-committed, it was looking kind of up towards that million. But actually, I don't think it was anywhere near that much that came from the pre-registration thing. It was more down towards the kind of tens of thousands. Yeah, okay. And just going back, you mentioned that you worked with a videographer. Would you be able to tell us about that? And I guess the process of finding that the videographer often, you know, entrepreneurs ask if there's any particular agencies to, to sort of go for or if there's a process that you went through. So I'm based in Newcastle, so it was going to be me in the video. So it needed to be someone that could either get to Newcastle or live in Newcastle. And given that I think we did this just as lockdown was ending and travel was okay, um, there were some people in London we spoke to, but I don't think any of them were particularly keen to get on the train and come to Newcastle for the day. So co-founder Josh, is in his sort of previous business and his other business, has um, a student events kind of company. And we used a videographer that he's previously used, a guy called Lewis, who is based in Newcastle and did a fantastic job, a much friendlier rate than we were being quoted from someone from London. And he was brilliant. I would be more than happy to share his details for anyone who wanted to get in touch. They needed a really good videographer. Yeah, of course, we'll, we'll include the details in the show notes. Yeah, that would be great. Sure, he'd like that. Were there any other support services that you utilised throughout your campaign or was this all done internally? Yeah, internally within the kind of the wider Dr. Wills team, yes. So the ladies who run our marketing side of things, they drove it really. Lizzie 
who is one of our team, was sort of really on it in terms of a, almost having a diary of who's going to say what and when. And I think that's probably really helpful to have because you have someone reminding you or, or pushing you to say, right, look, you need to do a video on LinkedIn today. You need to do this on Facebook today. You need to you know, email this many people. So she was sort of the driving force behind the comms behind it. And I think that's super important, especially through, say, LinkedIn, which is where we tried to make most of the noise but also Facebook, actually, because people come out of the woodwork. You are either friends with a school or friends with a university, and it all adds up. So, um, yeah. And on the social media side, did you do any paid advertising? No. Or was this no. all organic? Yeah, all organic. We didn't do anything paid. Um, we haven't, up until now, been very big users of paid social media stuff. But no, we, it was all just off our own backs. Okay. And I know that Cedars offers additional marketing support services. Did you utilize any of those throughout the campaign at all? Not the kind of the top end of the scale of sort of the tube billboards and what have you, but we did use the one where um, you, you sort of become the, the banner at the top of the website. Um, we did use that, but I don't know how much that cost. So I couldn't tell you, but we, we did do that and it was helpful. But I think the most important thing for Cedars is that you raise money quickly because then you stay at the top of their algorithm and then you're on the, you know, you're in the first kind of couple of boxes that people can see um, whether that's, and I don't think that's related to how much you pay them. It's that's simply a function of how quickly the funding's coming in. Okay. And you mentioned at the start of this conversation that there was some hesitance to, to launching a crowdfunding campaign. Throughout the campaign, how did you, you know, sort of respond to communication with, with investors? Were there any questions that came up where you weren't comfortable to, to share the information or disclose certain things at all? It was a really interesting process, actually. And Liam White, who's our other co-founder, really led from the front with all the comms. Um, on the investor side, you are in the limelight in as much as people who are interested in Cedars and, you know, obviously not in the wider limelight, but you're in the limelight of your own little world at that point. And anybody can ask questions and they can also start a discussion that anybody can get involved in. And we just made sure that we responded in as full a way as we could, as quickly as we could, so that people knew that we were available. And whether that was uh, you know, we offered to phone people if they wanted to be phoned or I think Liam sent someone an eight minute voice note at one point and, and we would respond to people in as full a manner as we could without compromising any sort of IP, I suppose. Um, one tricky thing was that we felt that some of the questions that were coming in weren't maybe genuine questions and were more people, perhaps competitors, trying to pick holes in what we were doing. And we spoke to Cedars about that. And they said that they also felt that these were fairly suspicious questions. And the people who were asking them had never been on the platform before. And they said, look, you can take them down if you want. But to be honest, the way you're responding to them is getting good responses from other people. So you're actually in a better position to leave them up there. So that's what we did. You do have to be aware that you're putting yourself out there. And it's kind of opening yourself up for scrutiny. And were there any other specific challenges that you faced throughout the campaign that maybe you, you didn't sort of foresee? Well, in a good way, you just face the challenge of knowing when to stop if you're overfunding, which is nice. And we just sort of set a date rather than a, an amount once we got towards the end of it. Um, it's quite tiring. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's full on. It's all day. You're on call for it all day, every day, 
posting about it, responding to people, thinking of people who might want to invest and getting in touch with them and things. So it's quite drawn out, but at the same time, it's elating every time you know you go on and check the total and it's gone up and like brilliant. This is amazing. But I think even more so than the total going up, seeing the number of people investing, because that was great to be building the community and seeing even if people are putting, you know, at the, the lowest possible amount in, it's still uh, really heartwarming to see that people are bothered by your company that you set up and willing to, you know, hand over their hard-earned cash to have be part of your journey. So uh, that was great. And I guess just picking up that point as well, you said before about, you know, Cedars wanting you to be you know, at the top of the platform. I know that, you know, that's one of the things that uh, factors into their algorithm. So, you know, the more investors that you get on board, the chances are the higher you're going to be up on the platform and then you're going to take advantage of that organic traffic. And, and if you can continue that sort of cycle, then you'll be in a really strong position to continue raising more money. Yeah, I don't. Well, this wasn't verified by anyone, but I think there is a certain trigger point by which when you hit it, you then, I think people who regularly invest in Cedars can say that they can sort of select something that if any campaign gets 250 investors, Auto invest. Yeah, yeah, auto invest. So, yeah. And I wasn't sure what the number for that was, but um, that's partly why we pushed as hard as we could to get as many people in as possible. This was your first campaign, right? Yeah, yeah. First time we've done it. So, what would you say were your sort of top tips for other entrepreneurs that, you know, maybe new to crowdfunding, they're thinking about it and they're not really sure whether or not they should go in and and launch a campaign? I think there's a few things. Get money pre committed for sure, because I think unless you've got that, in and you do get sort of that fast raise within the first 24 hours, you just lost in that algorithm. And, and I know we spoke to a few other brands that had done either successful or unsuccessful crowdfunding campaigns. And one of the main things was that you needed to have your pre-committed money for sure. You also need to be prepared to do the work on it. It's not just an easy way to get some money. Like every single comment you make on your video is fact-checked by Cedars, some really in, intense due diligence, which I should be. So make sure you have enough time to prepare for it. It's not something that you can just say, okay, we're going to crowdfund and do it next week. It takes probably two to three months at least to get sorted. And that's getting the video done as well and getting your plan in place. So yeah, give yourself some time, make sure you've got money pre-committed and that the people that are pre-committed are happy that you're going to use their money on a crowdfunding platform because not every investor will be happy with that. So luck ours all were, and they were really... I was, I was going to say, were there any investors that maybe weren't happy or... There was one person who said, oh, you know, are you sure that's the right way to go? But they were from an old line of work, was in a slightly more old school investment house. And, and I think previously, crowdfunding had been looked on as a bit of a, oh, you couldn't get institutional funding, so you did crowdfunding. But I think that view has changed now, especially with the UK app it's kind of UK institutional appetite for risk capital is is not huge whereas i think in the states it's very different so in the UK it's becoming more accepted that as your first round or your first big round you may end up utilizing crowdfunding so i think the other thing really big thing for us was just linkedin and just go hammering those socials as much as possible and we had one message from someone on LinkedIn to say, you know, this like comic relief, every time I look at it, it's going up. And I think it's not the fear of missing out because you don't want to sort of gain people into investing, but we wanted to be everywhere and very visible. And so that's why we pushed as hard as we could on the social media platforms to make as much noise as possible. 
So I think it's that you've got to make time for the investor conversations because they do take a long time. And those questions that get asked that seem maybe off the cuff questions on Cedars, you know, you really need to consider your answers because they're they're out there in, in the public domain. So I think that remembering to take some time for yourself because it is exhausting and you do still need to be having some downtime. So, you know, Lottie still went with one of our teams. She still managed to get her like daily swims in and the guys were still on the bikes and stuff. So I do think that's important. Um, but, but those would be my kind of quick tips. One of the points there you mentioned that you spoke to other entrepreneurs that had both succeeded and failed through crowdfunding. How important do you think that was? And were there any pieces of advice that you took from them and, and applied in your campaign? Yeah, I think that's always really important. I think for my whole kind of I know it's, it's not a very long entrepreneurial journey yet, but it's always been to ask questions because people are on the whole very happy to talk to anyone else. And so we had a few bits of advice. One was get as many people pre-registered as possible and make those phone calls early. And then the other one from one of the companies that ended up pulling their crowdfunding campaign was just to you know take it seriously. And you have to put, the, it's not, money's just not kind of fall into cedars. You really have to put the work in. And part of that is considering where you're going to set your target, um, what you think you can realistically get. You know, don't be arrogant and say, you know, our target's a million because people are going to love this company and they're going to invest. You want something that you'd be happy to close on if that is as far as you get, uh, which obviously you hope it isn't as far as you get. But I think the, the ones that hadn't done it properly probably hadn't thought it through enough and done their homework on the, the idea that you set your target low, you have most of it pre-committed, and then you, you go from there. And having been through the process, do you see yourself launching another campaign in the future? Well, we kind of looked at this round as potentially one of the last we would need to do. I think that's always a fallacy because you always run out of money quicker than you think. But it's certainly not something that I would rule out. It was a really great, apart from it being quite intense work, it was really enjoyable the whole four months and it um, I think it probably brought the team closer together as well because we all had this really obvious shared common goal for that small amount of time so i think i, I wouldn't rule out and it's, and it's really interesting when you then look on cedars and you see i mean we got knocked off the top spot of cedars by i think it was either cheeky panda or chapel down and they're on the sort of fourth or fifth crowdfunding round each time a kind of jump inflated evaluation which is obviously great for them and I know, I think Mindful Chef have done quite a few rounds on Cedars along the way now. It just shows that it is a done thing and it's, it's obviously working for these brands to come back and do it again. So I think if we found ourselves needing the cash again, it's not something, certainly not something we'd rule out. Okay, that's great. Thanks a lot, Will. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more advice, head over to crowdfundingchampions.com and be sure to subscribe for the latest content.